Welcome to Kansas City Confidential, a podcast where we hear from the people behind Kansas City's local restaurants, businesses, and personalities. I'm your host, Sari, and this week's guest is Jamie Campbell, nationally touring stand-up comedian, screenwriter, and actor. He has a handful of shows coming up at the end of this month you won't want to miss. On this episode, you will hear how Jamie has learned to use comedy to spark joy in people's lives. He also discusses how current events in today's political climate have altered his approach to comedy. Here to talk all about his career and his exciting upcoming shows is Jamie. Casey Confidential. Casey's Confidential. Thank you again for being here. And as I said, I'm excited to to hear about your story. So I would love to just hear some general background about yourself and how you got started in comedy. Yeah, absolutely. It is uh, an adventure uh, embarking on a career in comedy. And it kind of happened as an accident. I was studying to be a, a classically trained actor. And, and even studying that was an accident because I was fresh out of basic training. I was a 19-year-old, and I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. So I joined the Army, you know, the old, hey, maybe you'll die, but you'll get an education. (laughs) And right out of basic training, uh, I was in the National Guard. And uh, when you do that, you just have like one weekend a month that you're reporting on post, and the rest of the time you're free. And so my first semester on campus, I saw an audition for a play and I thought, well, this will be a fun way to meet some people. I took a drama class in high school. Um, I actually took it all four years, but I was never really active in the arts. And I didn't know this at the time, but when you audition for a play, they usually want you to come in with a memorized monologue that is like maybe two minutes at the max. Well, I didn't know that there was a time limit, and I had one book on my shelf that I had stolen from my drama class senior year in high school. It was called David Ives, All in the Timing, and there was this 11-minute monologue where a guy's talking about old typewriters, and I, I memorized this thing, go in, and basically give a full performance piece instead of just a short monologue, and I had no idea the director... Uh, It was a former Tony nominee, a guy named Joe Sears, who had uh, done some plays on Broadway called The Greater Tuna Plays. Years later, like when I discovered that it should have been much shorter, I was terribly embarrassed, but they treated me fine. And I actually ended up with a principal role and spent my weekend working alongside actors that had careers in the arts. And that made me want to go into it. And flash forward like five years later, I'm in graduate school working on my master's degree and I'm doing serious acting. Like I've played King Henry in The Lion in Winter. I just played Brutus in Julius Caesar. So like just some heavy, bloody, just gory, sad tragedies happening on stage. And I see this little sign in our green room on campus for this full-time program at the Second City. And I wasn't having a great time in graduate school. I I was getting some nice roles, but I just... The fun was being sucked out of it. I thought a lot of the the teachers were kind of, a, uh, I don't know, they, they weren't connecting with me. And I, I thought that there was a lot of uh, breaking you down to build you up. And I do not respond well that way as a student. And I just, I needed something else. And so I said, you know what the heck, I'll, I'll apply for this program. And the second city, I didn't even realize it at the time. But then when I, I Googled it and I, I saw all of these comedy heroes of mine, people like Bill Murray and John Belushi, Tina Fey, Stephen Colbert. Mike Myers, Chris Farley, the list goes on and on. So many of Saturday Night Live's biggest stars and so many of the best uh, stand-ups as well uh, have gone through that training center. And I was like, um, okay, yeah, why not? What do I have to lose? And I apply for this program. And technically, I can still get college credit doing it because um, it's they treat it like a semester abroad. 
you're training full-time at the Second City, but it's through another college. I figured, what the heck, I can get some student loans uh, if I do get in. If I don't, then I'll just continue being miserable here. And the deadline passed, and I heard nothing back. They said, you will hear us by this point. If you don't hear back, uh, good luck with the rest of your life, but we don't want you. Uh, They said it nicer than that, but that's how it felt to me. I was walking to my apartment complex to renew my lease for another year, and on the way there, something in my heart pulled me toward the mailbox. And I opened the mailbox, and sure enough, they were late because they're artists and were always late, (laughs) but I got accepted to that program. At the end of that summer, I moved to Chicago. I never went back to grad school. Comedy had me in its clutches. By that point, I was starting to get booked and, and performing all over the city of Chicago, and I stayed in Chicago for eight years. Um, And I I started out doing improv and sketch comedy. And then about a year later, I started doing stand-up comedy. And I get to perform on the biggest stages in Chicago uh, and also some of the coolest indie stages where the real revolutionary work, where like uh, the face of comedy is really changing. And that's in these independent shows that are produced in attics and garages and found spaces. And it just changed what I thought was possible as an artist. Uh, And then I moved out to LA for a year and didn't have a single genuine conversation with anybody. <laughs> and I had toured to Kansas City uh, when I had released a stand-up album in 2015. And I fell in love with this city and the combination of kindness and people that really care about each other, but also the accessibility of still a great art scene. And the people here weren't trying to get famous. Instead, they were trying to do the best work that they could and lift each other up. And something about that really spoke to my heart as an artist. My friend Tim Marks, who... Uh, is the the owner of the the Casey Improv Company, reached out to me because I'd mentioned I was looking to move. And he said, you can even stay with me until you find a place. And I had only met Tim a couple of times. I thought that was a really kind way to reach out. And so I said, yeah, I'll give Kansas City a shot. And that was late 2016. Uh, I came here and then I met my wife about a year later. And now we're happily married and the city's changed my life. And that's where I'm at now. Yeah, that's that's so great. And as someone who's from Kansas City, it's always exciting when I hear people who aren't from Kansas City and come here and for whatever reason, fall in love with it here and are happy here in whatever industry career they're in. And so that's, that's so great. And I want to ask, you know, when you got into that school, what was it about comedy that you fell in love with? What kept you going? You know, when I was in the world of serious theater, a a lot of times because I, I find that even in the saddest moments of life, there's always a way to laugh. You've got to laugh at even the saddest of circumstances. And it doesn't mean that you don't take them seriously, but you can't just be woe is me all the time. It's exhausting and it doesn't help fix the problem. But through comedy, even though you're joking, sometimes that becomes a way to creatively solve a problem. And I found that that has trained my mind to get out of those bad Uh, situations. And something about being in that environment around a lot of people who are taking the art so serious that it feels pretentious at points, uh, it it started to become exhausting for me. And and a lot of times people were pushing me toward comedy, I think, because I'm naturally funny in conversation. But to me, it wasn't just about the laughter. It was about the idea with with improvisation, you don't need a script. What can happen or, or what I saw happen when I came to Chicago was different than the improvisation that I'd seen. I'd seen a lot of short, fast games that are all about the joke. But when I came to Chicago, I was watching people do these longer pieces where they get one single suggestion. And for the next half hour, they're creating these scenes that connect in ways that it looks like you're watching wizards at work, like wizards of story. And I remember even uh, I was watching one of my first long form improv shows at uh, IO, formerly the Improv Olympic 
in uh, another one of the big comedy institutions in Chicago. And I texted a friend that uh, I had gone to theater school with. And I was like, you are not going to believe what is possible. And it's changed the way I actually right now. I'm directing a group in Kansas City uh, called Pulse. They're a house team at the Bird Comedy Theater, and we're doing improvised drama. And when I cast it, I had to be clear. I was like, we're not doing a parody of drama where we make fun of drama. We're going to sit there in these hard emotions. And there will be laughs because that's totally a human reaction to circumstance. When we see our own lives mirrored back, we have to laugh. But these performers are doing this brave work that I'm just so impressed with the level of performers that Kansas City has right now, that they're going there with me. And I think that wouldn't have happened if I didn't first have that theatrical background. Uh, so I, I think the possibilities that comedy uh, lends to the arts, because it doesn't take itself so seriously, is probably what really attracted me to it. And now the more that I do that, the more I find myself circling back to truth and drama. That's funny, kind of like a full circle moment. And I appreciate what you said too about comedy, especially in life's moments where things are really serious, that you kind of need comedy there to help get you through it. My family uh, tends to have a little bit of a morbid sense of humor sometimes. And yeah. I would say in some of our darkest moments as a family, we have used comedy to get through it. Or even my grandma, I'm sure listeners are going to be horrified at this story. My my grandpa passed away before I was born. And my grandma, mm -hmm. we would take my grandma to the cemetery every year on the anniversary of his death or Memorial Day to go see his grave. And she would always say, now, where am I going to be buried and make all these jokes about the open lot spaces in the cemetery, which are, of course, reserved for people when the time comes for them to be buried. She would always, you know, say, don't you're stepping on me. That's you have to keep the grass <laughs> knives. I'm like, Nanny, you're not even there yet. And she was like, well, one day I will be and you're ruining the grass. And so I think I geared towards more like of the dry humor and some of that morbid humor almost that I yeah. think makes people uncomfortable because that's what I was used to. And a lot of people in my family have that sense of humor. Right. So sort of that being said, what would you say is your comedic style in the way that you do your comedy? Well, you know, it's changed over the years uh, and it changed a lot. I, I think over the past couple of years, really during the pandemic, because when I first started doing comedy, I really had this aggressive sensibility. I was out there to get your attention. And uh, a lot of times I would do a combination of things that were silly and shocking. I was fascinated by the idea that things were off limits and I wanted to explore those ideas. But the, the more that I've learned about people and the more that I've listened to others and kind of uh, learned about like things like privilege, uh, the more I don't want to bring something up that's going to make somebody in that audience feel terrible about themselves. I don't need the challenge of going, Oh, I can't talk about this. Yes, I can. I've dealt with that phase of my life. I don't have to prove that anymore. And now what has happened in the last few years, and I think it's because I found someone who supports me and loves me. I've done the mental health work to deal with all of my baggage and, you know, the, the trauma of growing up and, and things like that. Uh, and, and really am starting to create art on my own terms. And, and the more that I've realized uh, who I am, the more I realize I want to focus on joy and the idea of bringing people together. That doesn't mean that we don't talk about the dark things. I think we have to talk about the dark things because the dark is a little less dark when we're not alone in it. And so I think bringing that up is important, but I think it's 
most important when we talk about those to talk about maybe solutions and how we might find a light and, and create positivity together and also talk with an open mind because I'm still learning. I'm still learning about uh, people. I'm still learning about cultures and what others have gone through that is so different than what I've gone through in my life. And now I'm trying to to speak through the lens of somebody that is always learning and wants that audience to walk out feeling connected, feeling a little bit lighter uh, than they did when they walked in. We just went through this insane, like what feels like the plague part two. And, and it, I mean, it's still out there. Do you think that happened at the end of the, the bubonic plague? Like there were a lot less people with it. Uh, you think they were like, oh yeah, back in the plague. And people were like, no, the plague's still there. I don't know. Uh, but I, I think with all that, that we're dealing with right now, it, it's so important that we listen to each other. And I'm, I'm trying to bring a lot of that uh, to my work. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not angry anymore. And I think I want to uh, create work that speaks to all generations and brings us together and uh, has us walking out feeling like even if we don't know each other better, we're ready to listen. Yeah. And that's interesting with you saying that too, because I do feel like a lot of times a lot of comedy shows, some Netflix specials, there are some very big name comedians in the world who kind of teeter that gray line of what some people feel like is funny and making light of serious situations versus kind of poking fun and kicking people when you're down. And so you mentioned privilege and sort of learning about, you know, other people and other cultures. So I think that's really great just as a comedian doing essentially homework of figuring out, you know, how to not cross that line, but still make people laugh and feel joy. And how would you say that balance is? I mean, is there struggle in that? Is that something that is hard? You know, how would you explain that? Yeah, you know, there is struggle. I think because my mission is joy. When I realized that I've said something that might have offended or hurt somebody, that hurts me. It, it sucks. Uh, and I think that what what's happening with a lot of older established comedians is they've spent their entire career. They're not ready to pivot because they've learned this one way of talking and doing things. And so it's scary for them. Uh, it's it's you know a little bit scary for me. But also, as I hit my mid 40s, I realized, like, nobody wants to hear me aggressively talk about sex and drugs. I'm in my mid 40s. That's not fun. That's when you start to go, oh, we're a little sad for this guy. You know? <laughs> so I threw out that old material and started talking about what's going on in the world with me. And that helped. Uh, but for me, I think like the moment that we realize that what we said hurt somebody, that's when we got to stop and go, oh, okay, let me change this because that's not the goal. The goal is laughter. If you're hurting somebody, you're not creating joy. Uh, and I think the thing is, you know, there are so many people that face challenges that are not in my purview right away. I don't see life through the lens of a woman, through a person of color's lens, or uh, someone who is gay, transgender, impoverished or disabled, or, or a myriad of other things. So that means that it's not going to be convenient for me to take the world into account as a whole. Every time I make a joke, you know, or, or a statement, you know, or, or put out a video, uh, the world is too vast. It's not possible. But the thing is, once I realize that it's happened, you know, if somebody speaks out and says, hey, you're hurting me, then I think it's my responsibility to then change. I can't plead ignorance at that point. You know, it, it's, it's, it's America. I've got the freedom to ignore. I can boldly, aggressively turn around and fight back. But that's not the fight that I want to fight. I agree with that person. I didn't mean to hurt them. So why wouldn't I change that? And the more that I can start to learn about other people's point of view, the more I can then try to look through that lens of, uh, you know, other people that I might be working with um, or, or people that I grew up with that have a different point of view and go, hey, here's where you're coming from. And I get that. But here's why it's probably wrong. So let's talk about that. And maybe I can be a bridge. I don't know. 
Do you ever have a joke in mind that you run by either your wife or a group of friends before you take it out to an audience? Sure. Well, you know, I have a, a joke that actually it got cut from my recent. I did a solo show at the Fringe Festival, um, and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that in a bit because we're filming it uh, for an upcoming streaming special. And I'm so excited about it because I used to work out my entire show in front of an audience bit by bit. It was tried and tested before I ever recorded an album or anything. And I couldn't do that in lockdown. I wrote it all, practiced it all in my basement, literally with a practice audience that was the people in pictures in my basement, looking at them just to practice. And then I went out and put it in front of an audience. It was one of the most terrified experiences of my life. And they loved it. Um, and I think it's because it came out of, of kindness and uh, and heart. And, and I tried to, uh, to reflect who I am now. Um, but there was a bit in that uh, show originally uh, and it's just a simple joke about, um, oh, just me wanting to build a haunted house. You know, in Kansas City, we've got these great haunted houses in the West Bottoms. They always have the scariest names, you know, things like uh, the Edge of Hell or Satan's Condominium. And so I have an idea for a haunted house that I want to build that I think would be more terrifying than any of those. Uh, it's called Pregnancy Scare. And like, and, and that goes on and on. You know, it's called Pregnancy Scare. And uh, you, you pay your, your money, you go in, you realize immediately this is a recreation of my apartment. Uh, you know, you see a, a trash can in the back. There's a little box on it with the three scariest Letters for anybody involved in a casual relationship, EPT. Then you hear a scream from the bathroom. The door opens. It's her. She's got news. It's at this point that it turns into an escape room. And if you don't solve it right away, you're there for the next 18 years. And that's a bit that was getting really big laughs. I felt it was kind of tight and funny. But then all of the news surrounding um, uh, Roe versus Wade started coming out. And I felt like that changed the point of view of that joke. That joke wasn't about uh, abortion. Um, and, you know, I, I even added a, a line into my show that I feel like we're going backwards right now in terms of women's rights. Uh, but that particular joke suddenly took on a different hue. And I don't want anybody that's sitting there that is already scared. Uh, and I think that's the thing that uh, a lot of people that are on the opposite side of that argument don't realize. It's not just a, your sports team versus my sports team thing. People are scared for their lives right now. And I don't want somebody to suddenly feel scared for their life because I brought this joke up that suddenly made them think of this thing that's going on. Uh, so that's an example. And I remember sitting there with my wife because uh, I liked that bit. Uh, I'd been working on it for a while and it had been getting big laughs. And I was like, I think I have to cut it. And I was like, there's no way to spin that in a way that, that doesn't seem insensitive in that moment. Like I can bring it up, but it's still making people feel bad because it's not about my point of view. It's just that topic is kind of not a happy one right now. Um, and since I'm not getting off on a soapbox uh, where I'm speaking my opinion instead of just a joke, then I guess I got to cut it. Uh, and so it was hard to do, but I, I think it was the right choice. Especially with so many current events going on, you know, even just from COVID and prior to COVID, I mean, just the world we live in, as we said there, you know, there is that fine line of being able to take humor and make people feel better about themselves, but then understanding when that humor is maybe doing more harm than good. And I imagine that's hard to, you know, it's not some clear direct line of everyone's on the same understanding. I mean, unfortunately we live in a world that's so divided right now. And mm -hmm. so being able to understand current events and keep up with what's going on in the world and then understanding, you know, where your jokes fall within that. I mean, that's, I can imagine that that is a struggle. Yeah, for sure. I think that's any arts though. I mean, especially when it's a living art and we're talking about what's going on right now. You know, you can, you can create a painting and it sits there. It is a permanent piece. You don't go back and adjust it. But 
when you're talking in a room with strangers, uh, it's a it's a different thing. You've got to constantly adjust because your art is temporal and it's living with the people that you're in the room with that night. What are some other struggles you have come across with being a comedian, whether that's, you know, balancing comedian life and personal life or just writing up your shows? What are some struggles that come with being in this industry? You know, when you start doing comedy, it's because you want to get on stage, you want to speak your thoughts and you want to make people laugh. Nobody told me that I would have to learn to be a graphic designer, my own publicist, a video editor, um, and everything else that my own manager, my own booker, and, and just all of the additional hats that you have to wear when you are the independent comedian. There's such a, a fine line in between those who have their own Comedy Central specials or who are on SNL. And even those people still have to struggle to look for work. A lot of people assume because somebody maybe it was like on a late night talk show that they've got it made and they're doing great. But even a lot of those guys are, are still really struggling to get by. Uh, I think we live in this era where there is so much free to consume that you really have to make people care uh, to see you uh, if you're a performer. And, and that's something I'm still struggling with. Uh, at some point, though, I just started going, I'm going to make art on my own terms. And those who enjoy it uh, will, will find it. Then I'll connect with those. And if it's just a small amount of people, then that that's what it's meant to be. Um, I, I think that the mental health side of being an artist is really hard. And I think we all go through these certain points. I took a big risk in quitting day jobs. I haven't had a full-time, like long-term day job since maybe I was 19. I was working almost full-time uh, running a comedy training center in Chicago before I quit that, but I was still in the comedy field, but it was like, like administrative. And when I quit that to become a full-time comedian, that was, uh, I believe it was 2013 or 14. Um, and that was a scary leap because all of this work is freelance. Uh, that means I've got to go out, hustle, try to get gigs. Uh, luckily, I'm also an actor and a writer and, and I get some weird gigs. Uh, but the big thing is just is telling yourself you're good enough and, and trying not to compare yourself to others. Everybody else's success is not your failure. As a matter of fact, if you're connected to someone that is successful, uh, th that means you've got an example to follow. Look at what they're doing. And, and maybe it, it's all about the lens through which you look at those things. And, and and I've started, you know, over the last few years, really looking at that to go, oh, that means that things are hopeful because I've worked with people who, you know, are SNL cast members who have their own Comedy Central and HBO specials, who've got their own sitcoms, are on writing staffs for, you know, I've got friends that have won Emmys, Golden Globes, been nominated for Oscars. Uh, I don't have any of that stuff, but I, I've won some awards at some smaller film festivals and and I'm just doing the work. And I think when I realized that doing the work was its own reward and that when I, when I let go of that echo chamber of having to be as successful as everybody around me, uh, then, then I think I started becoming a lot happier in my own work. Uh, something I wish I could have told myself earlier on as a comedian was to be of service and just try to help as many other artists as you can. 99% of the time, that particular artist is not going to pay you back. But that mindset of being of service, it is going to come around. Uh, and since I've focused on that, like this year has been, uh, at 42 years old, the most successful uh, year all around uh, that I've ever had. It's been the most artistically satisfying, uh, on top of the fact that I got married. So really all the best things in my life have happened this year. Well, congratulations on getting married. And speaking of your success, I know you have a lot of really exciting things coming up. And so I would love to hear about all the shows and everything you have going on right now. 
Absolutely. So in addition to being a comedian, I'm also a, an actor, a director, uh, a writer, and there is so much happening that I'm uh, really lucky to have going on. And so I'm going to hit you with a few of the highlights. Uh, and actually, it's uh, I mentioned the improvised drama group. Uh, they're called Pulse, and they are part of the, the Bird Comedy Theater's house teams. Uh, they'll be performing on the 22nd of October. Uh, they're going to be doing a show at 9.30 p.m. as part of the Bird House uh, house teams at the Bird Comedy Theater. Uh, a lot of what I'm doing right now is at the Bird Comedy Theater. Some friends of mine opened up this venue, and they've uh, invited me to be a part of it. So I've been uh, teaching classes as part of their improv training center faculty, as well as producing a lot of unique one-off shows. And, and almost everything that I'm going to plug right here is happening there. It's a great venue. So even if it's not my show, go check out the Bird Comedy Theater. It's in the crossroads. It is a theater run by local comedians that had a dream and they had a bold idea to open up a theater in the middle of the pandemic. Why would you do that? I don't know, but they're creating an amazing uh, community there. So, so check it out. Yeah. Pulse on the 22nd. Um, and then on, uh, gosh, it's a, a few different days. It's the 20th through the 23rd of October, the Kansas City Horror Play Festival is happening. And on that Friday and Sunday night, uh, my play Sneakerhead is closing things out. It's a 10-minute horror play uh, about this adult woman. When she was younger, there was a monster under her bed. She returns home as an adult to find it's still there and it's hungry. Um, and then uh, on the 29th at 9.30 p.m., I'm so stoked for this show. It's part of my one-night-only series in which I create these one-of-a-kind, literally one-night-only performances where I challenge local performing artists to create something special and new. The latest one is called Hilarious, where we're turning the Bird Comedy Theater into hell's hottest comedy club. So everyone's been challenged to create an act that would exist in a comedy club in hell. Uh, I don't think you'll see a show like that anywhere in America this month. Uh, I may be an innovator here, uh, but that is happening, and the lineup is stacked. It's going to be super fun. I'm going to be hosting as uh, Andy Elzebub, uh, the devil's nephew. Um, and uh, then uh, what else is happening? Uh, oh, the big news that is really uh, the most exciting thing for me right now is also that Big Dad Energy, that's the name of my stand-up special, is happening Thanksgiving Eve. That's November 23rd. And that's going to be uh, at 7.30 p.m. You can be part of that live studio audience. Uh, we are filming it to, to submit to some... Uh, different streaming services uh, so it'll be released either on a regular streaming service or uh, something else i'm not sure exactly but the crew is insane dylan allen of block party films jacob allen clark of visible horizon films uh, and some other incredible filmmakers have all teamed up because they saw the show at the fringe festival and loved it and they said we want to film this special so they asked me and i am so thrilled and honored uh, to be to be shooting that right here in kansas city that's so exciting. You have so many things going on. and It's exhausting. I was, so I want to, first I want to say that I think it's so great. You know, going to comedy shows is always so fun and is unfortunately something during the pandemic I think people took a big break from, but I think it's something a lot of people have gotten back into and really been looking forward to as people have over the last several months gotten more comfortable being in crowds and being in public spaces and you know the continuous theme of comedy being there for people in their darkest times I think people being able to see shows live again is just helping people continue to heal after this couple years we've had yeah that's so great you have you have so much going on my head's just exploding listening to all of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm really lucky that 
the city's full of amazing performers and and I feel like I'm just so fortunate uh, to have people lately that have reached out to me and said, hey, let's collaborate together because uh, I, I feel like sometimes I, I just need to pinch myself with the the amount of uh, phenomenal talent that I'm getting to work with. And, and it's all right here. People don't think um, Kansas City, when you throw out great art cities, that's not uh, something usually that, that, you know, flows out of their mouth. Usually they'll talk about the big, you know, three of Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, or uh, those uh, other kind of weirder cities, Portland, Austin, you know, uh, maybe Santa Fe, if you're looking at visual arts, but people don't usually blurt out Kansas City. And, and if you're in Kansas City and you're not exploring the arts community from the performing arts to the visual arts, this is a town full of amazing creators. Do yourself a favor and check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, as someone who has always really been invested in the arts, I grew up in a family who that was something we we did. My whole family has definitely come from an artistic family. But even just talking to people in, in terms of acting, mentioning all of the actors who are from Kansas City, half the time people are like, no, 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 I don't, that's not right. And I'm like, it is, according to Wikipedia and <laughs> all, all right. my very in peer-reviewed sources. <laughs> Yeah, I just think that, as you said, Kansas City tends to get overlooked compared to some of the larger cities, but it is really amazing how much talent has originated here and on top of it, how much talent is here currently. So kind of a mixture of both people from here who have moved away and continued their career elsewhere or people who have come here and help expanded the arts community in Kansas City. We have so many amazing things for people to explore and it's ever growing. It's not like, oh, I, I did that one thing. Now I've, I've seen it. It's you're never going to see it all because it's continuously growing, which I just think shows how awesome Kansas City is and how much heart there is in our city. Absolutely. It's an incredible city. I fell in love with it and now it's home. You know, I, I may not have been born here, uh, but Kansas City is home and it's felt like home since the moment I've, I've stepped foot in the city. What are some of your favorite things since moving here that you love oh, about Kansas City? I love the way that the city feels. There's, there is a feel to this city when you're here. I'm somebody that drives all over the country and I have found very few cities that make me I haven't found any city that doesn't make me look forward to coming back. It doesn't mean I don't like these other cities. There's uh, always fun things to explore, but there is something uh, that I, I just love. I love the amount of makers and creators uh, that exist here. Um, there are so many great, just small restaurants, just little boutique places like uh, Succotash is one of my favorite places to go for like a breakfast and brunch. I'm a, someone who is allergic to wheat. So uh, finding some amazing gluten-free places like Emily Kate's Bakery has turned into my birthday tradition. I get cinnamon rolls instead of cake uh, from there. Um, I I love Billy's Grocery. If you have not checked that place out, uh, I mean, not that they need the business. I'm sure they'd appreciate the business, but they're doing real good. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I've already mentioned uh, the art scene as far as comedy, but also uh, the local theater scene is incredible. And filmmakers in this town are doing some incredible work. I've, I've been fortunate enough to be in, in some indie productions. And then that got me inspired to start screenwriting. I've actually got a, another thing I've got going on this month is a production company in the UK is filming a short that I wrote. But that becomes another thing that I love about Kansas City in this age of technology. I can do that. I can be a screenwriter here in this city that I love. And somebody in the United Kingdom can make my script. I don't have to go out there. Uh, I can create art here and put it out to the world 
without having to leave here. Uh, I love not sitting in traffic and usually being able to find a place to park. I love uh, the plaza around Christmas when it's getting cold enough that you feel the chill, but you can. it's not so cold that you can't walk outside. I love the fountains. Who doesn't love the fountains? Um, the symphony, uh, especially when they do the things with movies. I went and saw them do Back to the Future, uh, where the symphony played the score live, uh, and that was beautiful. I love all the microbreweries. That's one of my favorite things. My wife and I just will will hop from microbrewery to microbrewery, just splitting a flight, just sipping like we're, I don't know, aristocrats with small things of tea, but it's just little bitty three-ounce pours. Uh, there's so much to love about the city. Those are just a few of the things. I agree. Those are all great examples. And there's so many cool areas to Kansas City. I never get bored. There's so much to do in the yeah. city. And I always say when people are like, oh, Kansas City is kind of boring. I just really challenge those people to do a little digging. It's not much digging, like throw a, a pebble and see where it lands and go to that place. It's I think people make it sound harder than it actually is to explore Kansas City because it's so accessible and a lot of things are free or things are yeah. expensive compared to larger cities. And so I know there are people who don't love it here. Not every city is for everyone, but I definitely challenge people who have any complaints to really get out there and, and put themselves out there and explore the city because I guarantee they will find something unique to Kansas City and something that they love. Yeah, you have to search a little bit in Kansas City because it's a city that's proud of each other, but it doesn't respond well to people who are proud of themselves too much. You know, we don't we don't like people talking about how great they are. We love it when they talk about how great Kansas City is. Absolutely. But the moment we see somebody getting a little bit cocky and braggadocious, no, no, you tell us somebody else that's doing great and we'll go check them out. But if you're telling us you're doing great, that's when you start to lose the support in Kansas City, which I think is it's really interesting. Like we like people who are kind, uh, but because of that, you're not going to be successful if you brag about yourself. Somebody else has to tell uh, somebody about you. And so I think that's what makes some of Kansas City seem a little bit secretive. Uh, but I think it's just because, like, uh, we're not going to let you promote yourself. We're going to let somebody else promote you. That's why I'm on your show. I need you to promote me. <laughs> well, and that's why I started this show, too. I mean, I fell in love with all these local businesses and individuals that I was coming across and just said to myself, uh, even if one person listens to every episode, comes across something they didn't know about before and then they can discover it that's one more thing they didn't know about before and so from my perspective it's been such a fun opportunity to to talk to people and get to know them better and what drives them and everyone I've talked to they're all pieces of the puzzle in Kansas City and what makes this city so great absolutely it, it, that's the thing I think about Kansas City is it doesn't have this one color that, it, that it's painted. There are so many different layers to this city. It's in the Midwest and it has that just polite, oh, excuse me. Yes, pardon me. No, we're all going to sit here at a four-way stop for a half an hour because none of us are going to go first. We're all going to be polite and let the other person go first. Uh, but at the same time, it has outspoken artists. Uh, human rights protests are going to erupt in the streets when uh, a wrong happens because this city has people that care about each other uh, and stand up for each other. Uh, there is room for punk rock and jazz to exist. There is uh, room for all cultures to have their own individual scenes uh, and their own representation, but also that overlap. Uh, there is, I don't know, I, I'm constantly learning from other people that live in Kansas City, uh, and I love it here. 
And so I do always like to ask guests on the podcast, if there was something you could change about Kansas City, what would that be? You know, what? I, I think that it would be nice if this city uh, and and really maybe it's just state government and things of that nature created bigger opportunities for those who are making films. I think that this city has such a great backdrop of history. You can make period pieces down in the West Bottoms. You know, you can set something in the past and you can also in a lot of those warehouses, you can create some sound stages that would be perfect for filming full television series the reason that a lot of places are not coming here to film is because tax incentives are not there uh the arts need to be built separate from your tourism industry it's a separate industry uh and and creating something like that for the film industry would allow i mean we've had some reality shows come to town recently and that's great but we should be a hub for movies and film because we've got both a modern skyline uh and a and a classic uh, a lot of older buildings uh, we have an amazing set of resources here because this is a huge commercial filming hub, uh, which means the production companies are there. Uh, I wish that the state government uh, would do a better job because uh, it's a city that's proud of itself. And I think the rest of the world needs to see that. And films are a great way to let that happen. Yeah, we need you on the forefront to to make this happen. There, I'll make some calls. <laughs> I know. It's funny what you say about uh, sort of timepieces, too, because I got into a conversation finding out with a bartender recently about the history of Kansas City during the 20s and all the bootlegging and, you know, Tom Pendergast and just some of the huge names in that industry. It has surprised me there aren't movies based in Kansas City about those players and that time of history because it's not just Kansas City history. That was American history. I mean, everyone knows about speakeasies and the bootlegging and yeah. prohibition. I mean, why not make a movie here about something that was so historic that I think Kansas City tries really hard to pay tribute to. And I very much vote that there should be a movie based around that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's a phenomenal history and we still have the structures to do it without having to build uh, a full era out. And so uh, I know you have a lot of shows uh, coming up that we mentioned earlier. Is there anything else that you would want listeners of the podcast to know about or to keep an eye out? Well, you know, uh, also as a writer, I am uh, uh, creating a, well, I've written a feature script called Call Me Thor, uh, where it's about a young kid who's like 11 years old and his mom, they go on the run uh, from the abusive men who refuse to let them go. It's kind of like Thelma and Louise meets Stand By Me meets Almost Famous. Um, and, uh, I've got a few producers that are interested in that. So if you're, if you're listening and you are a film investor or producer, uh, holler at me there because, uh, it has gotten a lot of interest, but no full bites yet. So if anybody's interested in that, and also if you just want to get in touch, if you're like, ah, I'm hearing all this information, but I, I don't know where to go for Jamie's stand-up filming or to see that hilarious show. Uh, all you got to do to find my, uh, show calendar is just go to jamiecampbellcomedy.com. And that's got all the links to my social media as well. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm on the LinkedIn. I don't know if you've heard of that. Friendster. I've got a, uh, what else is there? What are the old MySpace? If you go to MySpace, you search for Tom. That's me. It's a, not an accurate picture, but uh, that's me. I've got a lot of friends, so you don't have to friend me. I don't need uh, the support. I'm doing great. I think that's about it. People, are they able to purchase tickets directly through your website or will it redirect them? Uh, It will redirect them to thebirdkc.com. I try to click something that's like, or try to put something on it because I I by hand go in every time I've got shows booked 
and I just enter them in. And I try to put a hyperlink, though. If you click on that performances tab, that'll list my show calendar because I know I said too many things for people to keep track of. <laughs> uh, and also, if you find me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash adventures in comedy. Um, and uh, I'm right there. Um, or if you just search Jamie Campbell, you'll, you'll be able to find me. Jamie, thank you so much just for taking the time to talk to me. And I am so excited for you and for all of your ventures you have coming up. I know this month is super hectic, but like in the best way possible. So Absolutely. I am so excited for you and just am excited to see where where else you go and, and what else you're doing. Yay. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me. Uh, uh, you've asked me a lot of questions that I don't often get asked. A lot of times it's just talking about comedy. So this has been a real pleasure to just get to talk about this city as well. And uh, so uh, thanks for, for that and for just a great conversation. Casey Confidential. Casey's Confidential, yay, ooh, Kansas City's best, ooh, Casey Confidential, ooh, school pa pa pi da pa 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 da 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 Casey's Confidential.